Will you join with me in reading the scripture today? You can find it on page 1467 uh, in the Pew Bibles. It's Hebrews 12, 18 through 29 in the Common English Bible. You haven't drawn near to something that can be touched. A burning fire, darkness, shadow, a whirlwind, a blast of a trumpet, and a sound of words that made the ones who heard it beg that there wouldn't be one more word. They couldn't stand the command. If even a wild animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. The sight was so frightening that Moses said, I'm terrified and shaking. But you have drawn near to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, heavenly Jerusalem, to countless angels in a festival gathering, to the assembly of God's firstborn children who are registered in heaven, to God the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous who have been made perfect, to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks better than Abel's blood. See to it that you don't resist the one who is speaking. If the people didn't escape when they refused to listen to the one who warned them on earth, how will we escape if we reject the one who is warning from heaven? His voice shook the earth then, but now he, is war uh, he has made a promise. Still once more, I will shake not only the earth, but heaven also. The words still once more reveal the removal of what is shaken, the things that are part of this creation, so that what is shaken will remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that can't be shaken, let's continue to express our gratitude. With this gratitude, let's serve in a way that is pleasing to God with respect and awe, because our God really is a consuming fire. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. Good to see you this morning. Uh, when you... The, when we heard that passage read this morning, it made me think of these two mountains that are described in Hebrews. And I thought I'd start with just a question for you to help out with and think about. So when, if you were to think of a mountain, like just think of a mountain, not the mountains, what mountain comes to mind for you today? Mount Rainier. Who, who has another mountain in mind? Kilimanjaro. Good. Thank you for something, changing it up, John. Thank you. Anybody else have a different mountain? Baker, I heard somebody say Baker. Anybody, any other mountains? Right. So there's like, if, notice that we go to the mountains that we experience. We remember the mountains that we experience, right? So when I actually heard this passage, read, when I was reading it this week, I, and I heard that first mountain, the, the first mountain described, I thought of like Lord of the Rings mountain. Have you ever seen Lord of the Rings, the, the Mount Doom, you know, Mordor? That's what I was like. This is like giving us this kind of imagery, right? And then you go to the other mountain that's described, and you're thinking, Oh, this is the Julie Andrews Mountain, you know, you know, the hills are alive and everything's great, right? So, and really these two mountains are being described in Hebrews for a reason, and it's, taught, it's really meant to conjure up, to give us these two images, right, of what it was life was like, what the experience was like on those mountains. Like, even you and I have different experience of mountains here because we live in the Pacific Northwest, and even like, you know, like, are, are you like, if you think of like Mailbox Peak, you're thinking Mount Mordor, right? You know, you know, or Mount Doom, right? Mordor. If you're thinking Snow Lake, you're probably thinking, you know, the hills are alive. So, you know, the, we all have these different experiences 
of mountains and what, how, what our image of a mountain is and what those mountains look like. That's the same thing the author of Hebrews is trying to do, is trying to give us these two images of these two mountains, right, that we're going to dig into. Now, the two mountains referred to here in Hebrews, the first one is Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai is in the desert of Sinai, the Sinai Desert on the Sinai Peninsula in the Middle East. And this is a picture of it today. And it is a desolate place. I mean, it, there's no life here. There's no birds. There's no plants. There's nothing. I've hiked up this mountain. and it's just, it's just barren wasteland, basically. And so this is uh, historically where we understand, or biblically where we understand, that Moses got the Ten Commandments off this mountain. And this is that first mountain described. And in fact, if you look at verse 18, it talks about burning fire, darkness, shadow, whirlwind, and a blast of a trumpet. They would use trumpets to let people know uh, what was happening on the mountain. And there were parts of the mountain that people and animals were not even to touch. And so this mountain, you know, this idea, this image is of one of uh, fear, right? Like, oh, I'm not, you know, I would create fear. Like, oh, you can't go over here, you can't go over there. And so you're constantly trying to figure out how to navigate that mountain, uh, the Mount Sinai. Now, the other mountain that's described here is, something, is Mount, Zion, Mount Zion, which is, here's a picture of it today, which we, we know is the, what's called the Temple Mount uh, in Jerusalem. And what you see there, the gold dome you see there is the Dome of the Rock, which the Dome of the Rock, it covers over the rock where the story of Abraham and Isaac occurred. That they have said that's where that story, where that event occurred, and so they built a mosque here. This is a, a mosque. This is not a, a temple, a Christian temple, or a Jewish temple. But in the time of writing of Hebrews, uh, or about that time before that, was the Temple Mount was had a temple on it, and this is where the people got assembled and gathered. And so it's interesting that this is the other mountain that's described, right? This this holy mountain, this mountain that is where people are come together in rejoicing and assembly. And there's Jesus and the media renewed covenant. And it's described as a place of the living God, right? The God that gives life. And so you get these two mountains described. And one is a, is a mountain of, really a mountain that evokes fear. And then the other mountain is a mountain that evokes joy. So fear or joy, right? That's how they're described here in the text. And on the two mountains too, there are different voices, right? And actually the voice of God is talked about in this passage and their, their one voice is one of where the people, notice that the one voice from Mount Sinai, the first mountain is like, it's really basically telling God to be quiet. <laughs> like, would you stop speaking? Because I, I, I'm so afraid of you, God, that I need you to, I'm begging you to stop speaking any more words because I'm afraid of what you're going to say. That's the, that's the fear that's in them. That's the voice they're afraid of, right? The voice of God that they're describing there. Now, the other voice is a vo and the voice, by the way, the voice also is the same voice that will shake the earth and shake the heavens. So there's this voice uh, that's shaking the earth. That's what they experienced on Mount Sinai. The earth would shake at God's voice. And there's this, uh, this future idea that someday God's not only going to shake the earth, God's going to shake the heavens. But then again, there's this other voice that is speaking to us through Jesus in this new, what's called a new covenant in the, on the Mount Zion. So there's these two mountains, two voices, two covenants that are being talked about. Covenant means, it's talking about our relationship with God and what our relationship with God is like. So here's a question for us to reflect on out of this idea. Which voice are you listening and responding to today in your life? What, how do you hear God? How do you see God? 
Are, are you more, lean, more on the mount? Are you on Mount Sinai or are you on Mount Zion? Are you approaching God and hearing a God that you wish would, for lack of a better word, just shut up, right? Be quiet. Stop speaking because I can't take it anymore. Or are you approaching a God who is evoking joy in you and gratitude in you? And it's a good place and it's a joyful place, right? Because how we relate to God and how we see God and how we view God will determine which one we're respond, you know, how we how we respond, right? How we view God will determine how we respond to God. Now, the other thing that's happening here in the passage that the author of Hebrews is doing is the author is is describing to us not not only these two images, but also representing two relate different types of relationships with God, called which we just mentioned, which was covenant, the the old covenant or the Hebrew covenant, which is based in the Torah and the Ten Commandments and based in Mount Sinai and the giving of the law. And the other one is based in Jesus, who is the mediator of what's called in Hebrews the new covenant, this new relationship and and relationship with God, right? I thought it was interesting that there's a verse here that talks about that covenant and talks about this new covenant. And it notice that how it represents these two different covenants. It says this, it's a very short part of the verse, but it says this, to the sprinkled blood that speaks better than Abel's blood. And I, I kind of pause on that verse because I think it represents two things as well. There's Abel's blood and there's Jesus' blood. We talk about that and that sounds, if you've not been in a church a long time or heard this before, it sounds kind of, you know, like graphic, right? So what's happening is that if you go back into the Old Testament, into the book of Genesis, there's a story in there that talks about Cain and Abel. Maybe you're familiar with it. And Cain and Abel offer worship to God, and God accepts Abel's worship and does not necessarily accept Cain's. So Cain becomes envious of his brother, and he leads him out into a field away from family, away from anybody that could see what was happening, leads him out into a field and murders him in the field. And it says in that passage that the blood of Abel cried out to God from the ground. I wonder what the blood was crying, right? What was it crying for? You know, in my mind, I think it was crying for justice. It was saying, God, you know, look at what happened to me. I need justice. And then it says this, though, that, that Jesus' blood poured out for us on the cross has offered mercy, and so there's this, the, the, the covenant of that cry, the blood of justice that cries out for justice. And then there's this covenant that cries out through the blood of Jesus for mercy. And actually, we need both, don't we? You know, we need both justice, but we also need mercy. And this is really, so again, this two, these two images are coming to us out of Hebrews. These two images of two mountains and two different kinds of voices and two relationships and two different ways of being in covenant with God. And so that's what's described, and it's all leading us to these verses. Verses 28 and 29 says this, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that can't be shaken, let's continue to express our gratitude. With this gratitude, let's serve in a way that is pleasing to God with respect and awe, because our God really is a consuming fire. This idea here is getting to is that 
with this God, the God of Jesus, of Mount Zion, of joy, of gathering, of community, of worship, is unshakable. That God's kingdom is unshakable. And E. Stanley Jones wrote a whole book called The Unshakable Kingdom based on this verse, I, believe, I, I assume. And he said that that's what we're serving. We're serving a, a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Like, everything else is going to get shaken. Do you, do you feel like the world's being shaken right now? The heavens, the earth feel a little shaking right going on? Does your life feel like it's being shaken? Like, are things going on in your life and my life that, are, that I just feel like, oh, everything's being shaken up constantly all the time? So I thought about an illustration to kind of help, help illustrate this. And so I, I, I need a volunteer to help me shake things up. Not shake it off like Taylor Swift said, but I just need, I just need somebody who, who can handle at least 10 to 15 pounds of sand. And we, so we need somebody to help with it. Anybody? Nobody. All right, come on up. Give, them, give this person a hand for volunteering. Help me with your name again. Franklin. Franklin, that's what it is. I, I was that close. I was that close. Franklin. So Franklin's, uh, by the way, new to our worship team, been playing the past couple weeks, right? Yes. So been awesome Thanks having you. Um, yeah. So Franklin, I just, I want you to, we're going to pretend for sake of illustration, my poor illustration, but as you're about to find out, is that this represents the world that we live in or the heavens, the earth and everything. And, you know, it says in the scripture that God's going to shake things up, right? Mm -hmm. And so I want you to be God, but I want you to be a benevolent God. Okay. Yeah. So I don't want you to be like, we had a God this morning that was really violent with it. And I was like, all right, wait, I need this. That's fine. So I just want you to, to just gently shake that canister up and down. Yeah. I think that might be good. Let's see. All right. Do you feel anything in there? Is there anything coming out? It's yeah, hard to see. I feel something. There's definitely some lumps coming through. All right. Let's take a look. So you shook things up. Now I'm looking. All right, again, there it is. Oh, yeah. So what came to the top right here, the top right? There, right yeah. at the top, you, you will verify it was at the top, right? Yes, I just sir. want to be clear. Oh, All right. verify, yes. Okay, because now everybody can see this. <laughs> but what it is, is it's a, it's a metal iron cross. Wow. And basically what this is, is, you know, as you shake it, the part, you know, the density of some particles goes down, and the density, because this may have more density, comes up to the top or vice versa. I don't know if I'm getting my physics right. I'm not a science teacher, by the way. Um, <laughs> But you can notice that this rose to the top, that as you shook it, there was something that came and rose to the top of everything when, the, when everything was shaken, right? right? And that's pretty solid, right? I mean, oh, feel yeah. that. I mean, that's solid, right? It's like, a, really like you're not going to do anything to damage that, are you? No. Right. No. And that's really a great illustration of how God's kingdom is unshakable, right? Mm. Everything else can be shaken around us, but God's kingdom remains, right? Unshakable, un, unbothered, right? And that's really the illustration. Let's give Franklin a hand for helping out. Thank you. Yeah. That's nice. I like that. Thanks. Thank Thanks for being a benevolent God today. So we appreciate you. Um, so really, that's what it's talking about. Like, you know, so think about this. This is, this is important, right? Like, we have a God, and we're a part of a kingdom as Christians, as followers of Jesus, that are a part of an unshakable kingdom. So no matter what is going on in our lives... We can be a part of that unshakable kingdom. Because really in the end, at the end of the day, at the end of life, at the end of everything, at the end of eternity, that's what will remain. 
All the other stuff that we're going through, dealing with, facing, that's all going to fade away. What matters is the kingdom of God. And are we a part of that, right? So that's what that looks like to be unshakable. Now, notice that when we realize that we have this unshakable kingdom, the author of Hebrews says what? Be grateful. Like, be grateful for this unshakable kingdom. Be grateful that you have a God who calls you to the mountain of joy, not the mountain of fear, right? And so we're our, our, what we are called to do and invited to do is express gratitude. Express gratitude to God. Like, and now, I want to talk a little bit about gratitude because we're getting ready for Thanksgiving, right? And, what, and, and we kind of do this, you know, we get together. I don't know, do you do this at your Thanksgiving meal? You get together around the table and so say, let's say, all go around and share how, what we're thankful for, right? Or somebody does that, right? And we, we go about that. We save that. We basically reserve this for like one day out of 365 years. 350, oh, that's a long time. 365 days, right? Like, think about that, how we spend just one day doing this. But the author of Hebrews says, continue giving gr- gratitude. Continue expressing gratitude, right? Don't stop being grateful, right? So what the author is saying and what we're learning is that we're actually to practice gratitude on a regular basis. And what that looks like is not just simply making a list of things that we're thankful for, counting our blessing. That's a, I'm not saying that's not a good thing. But gratitude, what, we're, what the research and learning today about gratitude is gratitude is, a, is more about savoring something than just making a list or, you know, checking off, oh, I did the obligatory Thanksgiving thing. You know what I'm saying? But really gratitude is like savoring and appreciating the moment that God has you in, when it happens. So, for example, you remember all the wind and the rain we had recently, right? And the wind's like coming at us sideways. Trees are falling down. People are losing electricity. The rain's coming down. And how many days was that? I, don't even, I didn't count the days. There were several days of this, right? You remember that? And then do you remember the first day the sun came out? And you remember like walking outside when that sun was out and you just got, got outside and you, the sun was shining. And what did you do in that moment? Did you just go about your day like it was any other day? Or did you stop and take, look to the, the sun? Not worship, we're not worshiping creation, we're not worshiping the sun, but really just say, God, thank you for the sun, right? Like, did you, did you pause? Did you, like, did you just take a moment and just appreciate the sunshine? That's gratitude. Gratitude is being mindful. Gratitude is really taking those moments that God gives us and stopping and pausing and savoring them and spending time with them and actually showing appreciation and gratitude to God for that, whatever that is, right? So what the writer of Hebrews is saying is gratitude for this unshakable kingdom. What we're practicing, that's what we're practicing gratitude, and that's meant to be done on an ongoing basis, not just once a year. The other thing about, a couple things about gratitude in addition to that is one, we're not talking about what's called toxic positivity. That's where we pretend to be thankful or we pretend to be grateful, but really we're struggling, we're hurting, we're suffering, right? There's pain going on in our lives or in the lives of people around us. So it's not, and positive toxicity will ignore those things. But this is really like, yeah, I, things are rough, things are hard, I am struggling. You and I can still practice gratitude though. And that's even more important when we're struggling, when we're suffering, 
to do this, to actually take those moments when they come because they feel so far and in between, to take those moments to just savor the good things, to remind ourselves and ground ourselves in the unshakable kingdom of God, that God is for us and not against us, that God is with us, and that God's kingdom is unshakable in our lives. So it's not, we're not talking about toxic positivity. And the other thing about gratitude, here's the cool thing about gratitude and practicing gratitude. You know, when, when someone thanks you or appreciates you, how do you feel? Do you feel good? Hopefully. Hopefully you feel good. Now, you might not feel good because there might be some other stuff going on, and this is not therapy, sorry. But one of the things, we, we typically, when people genuinely appreciate us, we hopefully feel some gratefulness, you know, we feel some, some positive affect, right, from that being thanked and appre- genuinely thanked and appreciated. Here's the other thing that happens. When you and I are the ones giving thanks or appreciating someone else or worshiping God, guess what happens in us? The same thing. Gratitude is reciprocal. And it's interesting that God designed us and made us as social creatures and that when we express gratitude or receive gratitude, it benefits both people. It benefits us when we worship God and we say thanks to God. It actually benefits us to do that. It affects us. It affects our mood. It affects our emotions. It, it is, God has wired us for this. And you, you wonder why we don't do it more then, right? If that's the way God's created us and God's wired us, what's the reason we wouldn't continue to practice gratitude on a regular basis? Worship God. Say thanks to God. Take in and savor those God moments in our lives and just kind of be with them because oftentimes I think we're so busy in life that we rush right by them. And then we wonder why we're so tired all the time. It's because we're not pausing and continuing to give thanks to God for these good things. Now, the other thing that text says is also not only to express, continue to express gratitude, but it also talks about serving with gratitude. And now, this, and let me be clear, this is not a plug for volunteers at our church. There's also a benefit to serving others. So they did a longitudinal study in the UK over 20 years, 70,000 participants. So this is a pretty big study. And they asked people, basically, did, did you volunteer in the past year? or not. And then they talked to ask people how they felt and what their affect was and how, you know, how was their well-being. So they, it was pretty clear that people who didn't volunteer in the past year were, didn't feel as good about themselves and their well-being as people who had served at least once in the previous, or volunteered at least once in the previous year. Now the other thing that happened in the study, that people who served or volunteered more than once a month in the past year had even higher levels of positive mood and emotion and affect and well-being. Again, what's going on here? Well, researcher uh, Ricky Lawton said this. It says, volunteering appears to be intrinsically rewarding. When we help others, we tend to experience what researchers call a warm glow. So again, As we serve others, as we help others, now again, you can overdo that, but in general, when we do that, it actually helps us to be serving with grateful hearts as well. 
So practicing gratitude is not only verbal, but it's also giving of ourselves as well. And it's interesting that these things bring us joy. <laughs> these things will bring and, and bring joy to our lives. These things will bring uh, positive emotions to the surface, right? And this is something that God knew that we needed. <laughs> and so God's telling us to do what God knew we needed to do. It's interesting how that works, huh? It's not, God's not saying do this for me necessarily. Do this to help you and the community of faith and the people around you and realize that you and I are part of the unshakable kingdom, right? So it really goes back to this question like, which mountain are we living on? You know, if you're on the mountain of fear and doom and anxiety and fear and, and, and anxiousness, all these things, right? If you're on that mountain, if you're living on that mountain, it's hard to experience gratitude. God's inviting us to change mountains. God's inviting us to the, joy, the mountain of joy, right? Where we express gratitude, where we experience gratitude, where we're in community with others, where we're sharing with one another and serving one another and giving to one another and, ex- and receiving from one another, right? See, that's a different place to be. So which mountain are you living on today? I'm going to end with a quote from C.S. Lewis. Anybody ever heard of somebody named C.S. Lewis? You see, because when this world is shaken, and it will be shaken, it is being shaken, it will be shaken next year, and it will be shaken the year after that, there will be something, something going on that will shake things up. God's kingdom will, be, will remain unshakable. And this is to lead us to this unshakable gratitude. But here's what C.S. Lewis says. He says, if you want to get warm, you need to get closer to the fire. If you want to get wet, you must get in the water. And if you want joy and peace and eternal life, you must get closer to or even into the thing that has them. And what has them is the unshakable kingdom of God. Jesus actually said, if you find the kingdom of God, sell everything you have and go get it. Because it's worth that much. I find that to be true. So let's pray together this morning.